Hey, Promise Youth, if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Micah, we're looking at chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And as I read for us, uh, just read along with me so that we can be in God's word together this morning. The word of the Lord reads, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. (coughs) Excuse me. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. What did God have in mind for us when he created us? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, why bother? You know, there's a joke that I heard when I was younger and said that the world, wouldn't, the world would be a better place if it weren't for human beings. You get it? The point of that joke is that the problems that this world experiences, it's not because of raccoons and trees and the ocean or mountains. It's because of human beings. And so maybe we're kind of looking at this world around us right now and all the calamity, all the confusion and all the chaos and say, why did God even bother to make us? What's the point? Well, when we look at the Bible, we see that God created human beings to be his image bearers, to be those who reflect his characteristics that are about what he is about. Our God is a God of love. He's a God of peace. He's a God of mercy, a God of generosity, of kindness, of abundance, and of justice. And so the basis and the purpose of our design is to reflect these things and promote them throughout the world. And it's actually because of this design that we can even begin to recognize when something is wrong. Now, what do I mean by that? What I'm saying is when we see that something is wrong, oppression, sex trafficking, racial injustice, we see those things, we see those images, we see those videos, we read those articles, there's something deep inside us that almost, it hurts, It cries out, it looks at it and says, that is wrong. And even if we can't put the words to define why it's wrong, we inherently know that it is wrong. And that's how we are designed. We're designed to look at racism and say, that's wrong. We're designed to look at the strong taking advantage of the weak and say, That's wrong. We're designed to look at all forms of injustice and have something in our hearts cry out and know that 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 which we are witnessing is not good. Murder, injustice, oppression, these are not good. And we know that because we as a people, human beings, were created out of goodness and we were created for goodness. But what does that mean? You know, we're hearing a lot of terms right now, right? Goodness and justice. But what does that mean? They seem like rather broad terms, right? And maybe some of us are kind of stuck because these things can mean something for different people. Like, for example, what does justice mean for someone in the black community? What does justice mean to a white supremacist? 
What does justice mean to a police officer? What does justice mean to an Asian American living out in the suburbs? What does goodness mean to any of these groups? What do we do when there are so many definitions for the same term? What is justice? What is goodness? But perhaps even more specifically, the question that I want us to wrestle with today is that if we are made out of goodness, made to promote goodness, then what does that have to do with justice? How does the desire for goodness drive a true biblical justice? And in order, that, in order to answer that question, we're going to look at God's word together. And what we see through the prophet Micah is that a true believer is driven not by selfish motivation or self-righteousness, but it's driven to promote true justice because they are driven by the goodness of the gospel. And so that's the subject matter that we are going to be dealing with today, a gospel-driven justice that comes from goodness. But let's keep working on defining our terms. You know, we all, we all have a longing for goodness, when we look at the world, like I said, and we see that something is wrong, when we see that people are disadvantaged, that people are living in poverty, that people are living in systems of oppression, we look at that and we should be upset. If we're not upset, we need to check our hearts. If we're not disturbed by the level of injustice that exists in our society and the world that you and I inhabit and live in, if we aren't disturbed by that, our hearts need to be checked. We need the filters to come off. But why? Why do we feel this way? Why, when we look at injustice, do we say something is wrong? Well, it speaks to a goodness that each and every single one of us longs for. Now, goodness, every single one of us, we want it in one form or fashion. We want the food that we eat to be good, the homes that we live in to be good, the tech that we have to be good. We, what's one of the best compliments that you can get? Hey, you're looking good today. In fact, what is one of the most demoralizing things you could hear? Dude, you look really bad today. We desire this type of goodness. I don't know how many times my wife has um, made a comment about when I take a picture of her, how I don't present it in a good way, a good angle and a good light. Think about anything that you've ever posted on social media. Whatever you post, typically you want it to show how good you look or how good something is. But right now, we are seeing a lot of bad. And where does that bad come from? Why are we experiencing and seeing so much bad in the world today? To put it simply, the bad comes from our fallen and sinful nature. That this brokenness that we are experiencing and we are witnessing, it is a byproduct of sin. It is our love for wicked things rather than righteous 
things. It is our love and desire for ourselves, our comfort, our supremacy, our conveniences. And this is the opposite of goodness. You see, goodness can only come when we stick to how we have been designed to promote who God is, to be his image bearers. But when we try to reflect other things, that's when we start to see the bad. And this is Micah's problem with Israel, that Israel has not been pursuing goodness and they have not been pursuing justice. Micah accuses Israel of falling short of being just people and good people. And Micah defines it as this, how, what is good? How are you good? It's to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. But what do each of those mean? Let's first look at do justice. It's clear when you look at the book of Micah as a whole that Israel has not been doing justice. I'm just going to read one portion of, you, of it for you so you get a small picture of it. But I recommend you read through the whole text just to see the level of depravity that the prophet Micah was dealing with. It says, Woe to those who in plain iniquity, to those who plot evil in their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people out of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Now, in all likelihood, Micah is addressing something that is happening with the upper class, with the ruling class of Israel, the leaders, those who are on top. And what he's talking about is those in power and those people are taking advantage of the weak, the poor, and the disadvantaged. And perhaps in their own ways, they're justifying it. I mean, think about any of the things that we do for our own selfish ambitions and our own selfish desires. We all have a way of justifying it. That it's not okay when someone else does it, but it's okay when I do it. And perhaps the ruling class of Israel, they were doing that. Well, saying, hey, at the end of the day, is this really hurting anyone? Look how much good I can do with how much I have, whatever the justifications were. But when we look at what the prophet Micah is saying, we see that God will have none of him. Micah will have none of it. He tells them that their practices are unjust and oppressive. And because of this, Israel will be sent into exile because they have failed to be just. But how do we know when a group of people are being unjust? How do we know when a group of people is promoting, are promoting injustice? Well, you can see if, a, you can see if a society is just, not looking at the powerful, not looking at those on top, but looking to the powerless. You can see if a society is just based on the weakest members of that society. Because the most powerful, well, of course they're well, well off. They're on top. But what about the ones who are not on top? If the ones on the bottom are suffering, then that is a society that is not built on justice. You know, there's a word, um, or there's a, two words, I suppose, that we're hearing a lot these days. Systemic racism. And 
while that's a topic in and of itself, if I could just give you a very simple definition of systemic racism, it's talking about a system that a structure of society that promotes injustice, a system that society has implemented where those on top continue to stay on top while pushing down everyone else in order to do so. And this impacts everything from people's healthcare, education, their basic rights, and on and on and on. It is a byproduct of a fallen human nature for those with more to continue to have more and to those with less to continue to have less. This is a societal system that you and I live in. And it's a system that does not promote goodness and justice. It's a lot like the system that Israel had during the time of Micah. And this type of a system, by all biblical standards, needs to be obliterated. Why? Because it doesn't stand for what God is all about. You see, the concern for justice, someone who is really concerned about God's justice, is really concerned with those who have less. And in fact, people who do justice, as the Bible would define it, are people who will put people in a position where they can flourish. Well, they'll take them out of the depression, the weakened state that they are in, and they will uplift them. They will act and use their resources for that purpose. That's what doing justice is all about. But at the same time, the people who do justice, they are also people who will weep. They will weep when these conditions are not met. When they look at the weakest members of society, when they look at those who are being oppressed, they will weep because their hearts are broken by the plight of the misfortuned. If we want to be a people who do justice, then we need to be a people that look at unjust situations and seek to rectify them, seek to make them right. And this, as believers, is not an act of charity. This isn't extra points. This isn't extra credit. It's a spiritual responsibility. In essence, to not promote justice as a believer, is wrong. It's an act of wrongdoing. And this isn't a, uh, let me help you guys so it makes me look better. Let me post on social media because it makes me look better. It's not about that at all. It's not about promoting your brand of goodness, but it's about promoting God's. It stems from a deeply rooted responsibility. So let me ask us this morning, how do you view those who have less? How do you view those who are oppressed? Are our hearts moved or are they calloused? How do we view those who have been wronged? Do we treat it like it's not our problem or do we feel an obligation and a responsibility to do something about it? Do we weep with those who weep, grieve with those who grieve? Are we empathetic to what is going on to those who are living 
in oppression? Or are we ignorant of what is really happening in the systems that our society promotes? If we live in ignorance, there's no way that we can be people who promote justice, who promote goodness. This is what it looks like to act justly, to do justice. It's an outward action, yes, but it stems from the heart, a heart that understands that we need to be a people that are promoting God's goodness. But here, the God, our God, he also requires us to love mercy or to show a loving mercy. To be, what does that mean? It means to be compassionate and loyal in your love. Now, these words, loving mercy, it, it almost seems a little broad, right? But when you look at the Hebrew, it's a deep, profound loyalty. It's a deep and profound compassion. It's a people who love, love. A faithful and steady love. A devotion to kindness. Something that is very deep. It's a heroic love. A love that goes beyond what is expected. How do we promote goodness? By being people who love love and love mercy. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, I think the best example that I can think of from the Bible is the story of Ruth, which I know all of you read because we did that thing. But let me give you a brief, brief, brief summary. There's a family, and their country is struck by a very, very difficult famine. There's no food. And so they move to a neighboring country called Moab. There are immigrants there. There are people who left their homeland, who have left their culture and their people behind and are now foreigners in another land. And while they are there, their two sons marry women from that land. One of them is Ruth. But during their time in Moab, members of the family start to die. First the father and then the two sons. Until all that's left is a mother-in-law and her two daughters-in-law. Now, after a brief interaction, the mother-in-law, Naomi, she convinces one of them just to leave her behind. But she can't convince Ruth. Ruth is determined to go with Naomi back to Israel. Which makes... No sense. Ruth, in order to be loyal to Naomi, will be putting herself in a disadvantage. She will be leaving behind her country, her culture, and her people. By going with Naomi, what she's essentially saying is, I'm okay never getting married ever again, without ever finding someone to love ever again. She's going to a land that she does not know. And her mother-in-law, upon entering that land, say, call me Mara, bitter. Does that sound like someone you want to hang around with? Does that sound like someone that you want to devote and dedicate your life? Ruth, while she's there, she's not about to go live a life of luxury. In fact, she's about to live the life of a beggar. She's going to pick food off of the ground in order to provide for Naomi and herself. Why does she do this? It's because she has taken a deep, 
loving interest in Naomi. It is a rich and deep heroic type of love. It is a genuine interest. What does that have to do with goodness? What does that have to do with justice? What does that have to do with what we are experiencing today? When we look at those who are weaker, those who are oppressed, when we look at members of the black community, do we take a genuine interest in their struggle and in their strife? When we look at any type of injustice, not just in America, but across the world, because it exists not just in America, it's everywhere, not race, not just racism, but a plethora of other problems this world faces. There are oppressed people all around the world. Do we take time to show a genuine interest in who they are and what they are experiencing? Or do we just skim off the top? Are we committed and loyal and dedicated to understanding them and to serving them and to loving them? Are we in it for the long haul? Or is this just a short-term thing? You know, there's something that's said fairly frequently in the black community. And it's that black culture is, is kind of popular. Music and dance, all of the arts and so many things that the black culture has provided us. But do we find ourselves just consuming them? Consuming it, being like just using it for our own benefit and for our own videos without recognizing and understanding where it comes from. What I'm trying to say is, do we have a genuine interest? Do we have a genuine interest in that community, in that culture? Because this type of a love, this genuine interest type of love, this is a type of love that refreshes, that encourages that restores and gives life. Life beyond what you think is possible and what you think it's possible for a person to do. This type of genuine interest is something that promotes goodness. And you know what I mean. When you're with someone who's taking a genuine interest in you, you know that no matter where you are, even if you're in the deepest and the darkest of places, that is like a breath of fresh air hitting your lungs, strengthening you, encouraging you, and restoring you. Promise Youth Group, if we are going to be a youth ministry that is about what God is about, this is the type of loving mercy that we need to be sharing and reflecting. It is a love that is dedicated, that is moving. And this is the type of love that God wants his people to be about. That this, he wants this to be evident in our lives. That our actions are out of genuine, loving mercy. You know, there's a lot of reactions right now. There's a lot of reactions to what's going on in the world around us. And one of the primary ones is anger. And it's understandable. It is an understandable action. But our movements as believers, it cannot be born from purely anger. 
It can't be born from an anger that too easily moves into bitterness. But rather, our actions, our words, our response needs to come from loving mercy, from compassion, not from hatred. When we're only acting out of that instead of loving mercy, and that's, if that's not the driving force, it won't solve the problem. It'll only make things worse. It'll provide an outlet for our frustration, sure, but it won't promote true change and true justice, not as the world truly needs it. Being angry is not enough. We need this type of compassionate love, this type of loving mercy. And if you look at the Bible and what it has to say about loving mercy, it's also quick to forgive. It doesn't hold grudges. What do I mean by that? It means that we need to be forgiving to both sides of the table. You know why? Because despite what's going on in America, it's not just about white people versus everyone else. Despite what is going on in America, it's not just about cops versus the community. It's about broken people on both sides of the fence. It's about the fact that our nation, our world is filled with broken, hurting, confused, and lost people. So we don't get to decide who we forgive and understand and who we don't. Because if we are believers, if we are Christians who say that we follow Christ, well, brothers and sisters, look at Jesus on the cross. When he looks at those who are crucifying him, those who are killing him, those who are literally mocking him as he is dying, what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. We can't fill our hearts with hate and bitterness and hope to see restoration. See, hate and bitterness, that's what got us into this mess to begin with. And it will only make it worse. Your brand of hatred and bitterness is not better than anyone else's. But what God calls us to be, people of loving mercy, that does promote true goodness and true change. And the third and final thing that we see is we are to be a people that walk humbly with God. What does it mean to walk humbly with God? It's to be very aware of our own flaws, failures, and weaknesses. That we don't try to pretend to be something that we are not. One thing in public and another thing in private. It's about people who are genuine. People who understand that they aren't the solution. People who understand that they too are flawed. We need to be humble in our actions to one another. Humble as we walk with God. Admitting that we too fall short of the goodness of God. It's not a self-righteousness that says, I'm doing everything right and everyone else is doing everything wrong. 
It's not this self-righteous attitude that looks at people who might not be posting on Instagram and saying, I'm doing a lot more than you. You don't know what they're doing. That's, that's pride. It's not humility. It's this self-righteousness that we need to fight that says, I'm not racist, or at least not as racist as white people are. No, we're called to walk humbly to recognize that we too are broken creatures who are in need of God's grace. And without this, there's no way we're going to make it. And when you look at this picture as a whole, we see that the type of justice that God promotes, the goodness that he desires, to be someone who gives life, he's looking for people, people who will stand against what everyone else is doing. And what everyone else is saying and what everyone else is trying just to be about what he is about. But that leads to a problem, doesn't it? Because how can we be good? Only God is truly good. All of us, when we look at these three things of acting justly, loving mercy, of walking humbly, we've fallen very short of that. It reminds me of the story of the rich young ruler. He goes to Jesus and he says, good teacher. Maybe he was trying to suck up, I don't know. But Jesus turns it right back at him. He says, why do you talk, call me good? No one's good except for God. It's like, oh, shoot. So what do we do? Because we might think that we're better than others. We as a race might think we're better than another race. But what about when you compare us as individuals, to God. What is our goodness in comparison to God's? It's nothing. Genuine goodness, it eludes us. Those of us who had tried to be good, you can attest to it that we're not. This is why Paul says there is no one who does good, not even one. Micah says, what does the Lord desire? How do you become good? Is it through sacrifice? No. No. All our sacrifices and gritting teeth, it can't bring us close enough to God. But his goodness is the goodness that we need in our individual lives, but also this world that we live in. We need that access. So how do we access it? Our sacrifices can't make it. Our gritting teeth can't make it. But you know what? God's grace can. You see, in this passage, Israel has sinned. God lays it all out. And he says that judgment and punishment are coming. There will be a price to pay for the sins that you have committed. And yet in Micah, that's not where the story ends. In fact, if you look at Micah chapter 5, specifically verses 1 through 5, we are told of a little town called Bethlehem. This forgettable little town. Bethlehem was so forgettable that when ancient map makers would make maps, they would often forget to put Bethlehem down. And what Micah says is, from this little place, this unexpected place, the Messiah will come. Now, why does that matter? Why is that important? Because while you and I cannot access the goodness of God, because we are all fallen, we are all flawed, we're all broken, God came down for us. And when we look at the cross, what we see is a good God, a good man dying for us. The only one who is good taking a punishment for us. 
that true justice was done on our behalf on the cross of Jesus Christ so that you and I can experience his goodness. That the only good one sacrificed himself for us, for us who don't promote justice, who don't promote love, don't promote mercy, who live and set up systems and structures that are really more about our, us than anyone else. And when you really start to understand that, when you really start to understand that you are no better than anyone else around you, that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that you and I, as much as we can point out the injustices of others, it's our own injustice that's a problem. It's our own sin that's a problem. And when you realize that instead of God punishing us, he took that punishment and it was placed upon Jesus so that instead of wrath, we can experience his goodness. When you start to understand that, you know what it does? It starts to melt your heart. And all of a sudden, you want to exude and share and show that same goodness to those around you. You know what it's saying? It's saying, man, I, before I met Jesus, was a hot mess. I was so broken, so weary, so beaten down. But Jesus has lifted me up. So how could I not do the same for those who are in need? When all of this has been done for me, how can I not be someone who does this for others. And that, brothers and sisters, is the heart of a gospel-driven justice. It's not just about, it's not about rage or anger. It's a response, not just to the brokenness in the world, but the brokenness that our Lord experienced on the cross for us. That's the source of promoting true justice, knowing that God has given a costly sacrifice for us. When you really start to get that, when you start to look at everyone in the world and realize that the ones that don't know this really need to know this, when you start to really recognize what the gospel is all about and it starts to warm you, starts to melt you, that's when you can start to respond. That's when you can respond understanding that this is what you want to share. This is what the oppressed need. This is what the oppressors need. And this needs to be the system, the structure, the lifeblood, the everything of what we do as a people group. Then we can really respond as gospel-driven believers, respond with true justice, a justice that will change and transform this world, a justice that brings life. And so I just want to ask three questions, three questions for you to chew over. Does your brand of justice, does it differ from God's? When you look at what's going on, do you find yourself being indifferent and apathetic or are you empathetic? Are you indifferent towards iniquity or are you brokenhearted? Do you weep with those who weep? Are we weeping with the members of the black community who are, it seems like almost every day, there's just something, there's something 
And I was listening to this talk and Lecrae, the rapper, he was sharing this story about how like when he was out on tour, the cops strip searched his car, pull out all of his seats, accused him of having drugs, which obviously he had none. And when they found nothing, they literally pulled out all the seats out of the car. They just left. And he was left to put the seats back. I mean, what is that? What kind of a lived experience is that? Things like that. And that's, I mean, I'm not saying that's small, but it's small even in comparison to the other atrocities that we're seeing. Does your heart melt? The second question is in light of what's going on in the world, how do you see the gospel message addressing the brokenness of our society? How do you see the gospel addressing racism? And the third is, in the context that you are in, what does it look like to promote goodness? What does it mean to be about goodness? What does it mean to be driven from this goodness that comes from the good news of Jesus Christ? And I'm not saying 10 minutes later you're going to have the answer to all of these. But these are questions we need to start asking in order to get to where we need to get. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. And I thank you that you are a good God and that you are a God of justice, and that you call us as believers to promote your goodness and to promote your justice. And so would you continue to challenge us, Holy Spirit? Would you continue to challenge us so that we may wake up to the calling that you have for us, for those of us who know the good news, to be bearers of that news to this world, Lord? That in a world that tells us that we can't keep silent, I pray that this would be our voice, that this would be our cry, that this would be our song. So I thank you, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen.